0: So question number one then, what is the Bible? And before we get going, I need to lay some groundwork, some, some presuppositions for you, for you guys here this morning, because every b- human being has biases. There's no such thing as free of, free of bias. We're all sinners, We're all, we've all lived different lives, experiencing different experiences, leading to different perceptions, and this creates bias. Not all of them good, but however, you know, some biases are good. And as Christians, we have biases as well, very, very specific ones that need flushing out. For as followers of Jesus, we should all come to the Bible with three fundamental presuppositions. Number one, God exists. Number two, that God has revealed himself to us. And number three, that we can know him. I bring up these presuppositions because this sermon is not about apologetics. This means I'm not going to defend a certain world view by way of reason and philosophy here, like I would with a group of unbelievers. I'm preaching to the church, and so there's a common set of beliefs we should all adhere to as Christians, and I'm taking for granted the common beliefs that God is, has revealed himself, and that we can know him. So with that, what is the Bible? What are these 66 books all packaged neatly together that we have? And for that matter, why do we call them scripture, or holy writings, or special writings? Why are these writings so special? What sets them apart? The answer, I'm going to give it to you up front. The Bible is the means that God has used to specially reveal himself to us. And we believe this because of the Bible's own testimony about itself. The best way to find out... What the Bible is, is to pay attention to what the Bible says concerning itself. You need to let the Bible define the Bible. And the following is a sampling of what the Bible teaches us about itself. First up, God is the author of the scriptures. Luke says in Acts 13, and we bring you the good news uh, that what God promised to the fathers, wait, wait, who promised? What God promised. This he fulfilled to us, their children, by raising Jesus, as also it is written in the second psalm, You are my son, today I have begotten you. And as for the fact that he raised him from the dead, no more to return to corruption, he has spoken in this way, I will give you the holy and sure blessings of David. Therefore he, the he being God, says also in another psalm, You will not let your holy ones see corruption. But the question is, who physically wrote these psalms? Probably David, right? Yet who does Luke in Acts say has written them? God. It's what God has promised. It's what God has said in another psalm. God is the author of the Bible. We also learn that the Holy Spirit is the author through human beings. Acts 1, six, brothers, the scriptures had to be fulfilled, which the Holy Spirit spoke beforehand by the mouth of David. Acts 4, 24 and 25, And when they heard it, they lifted their voices together to God and said, Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them, who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit spoke by the mouth of David. Peter builds on this when he says in Second Peter chapter 1, No prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation, for no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. We have the Bible ascribed to God and to the Holy Spirit through the mouths of men. The Bible finds its origin not in man's will, but in God's. This is what we call inspiration. The Holy Spirit inspires men, human beings, to write the scriptures. But what exactly is inspiration anyway i mean did the authors know they were writing scripture is this puppetry that we have going on well, let's look at how paul answers this question first corinthians fourteen thirty-seven says if anyone thinks that he is a prophet or spiritual he should acknowledge that the things i am writing to you are a command of the lord in other words, Paul says, this is directly from God Almighty, and Paul knows it's from God. And anyone that belongs to God, he says, will recognize it as being from God. Paul knows he's writing Scripture. He knows it's different. Peter says much the same in 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 15 and 16. And count the patience of our Lord as salvation, just as our beloved brother Paul also wrote to you according to the wisdom given him, as he does in all his letters when he speaks in them of these matters. There are some things in them that are hard to understand, which the ignorant and unstable twist to their own destruction as they do the other scriptures. Peter claims to be writing scripture, just like that of what Paul has written written according to the wisdom given him. And given to him by whom? The Holy Spirit. Peter calls Paul's epistles, his letters, Scripture. And what we have here is Scripture testifying about other Scripture. The authors of the Bible knew it was Scripture. There was no mistaking it when it happened. Inspiration, then, is not puppetry but an overshadowing of a human being's fallen nature by the Spirit of the living God, so that a man's words become God's words. The Holy Spirit carries them along, guiding, directing thoughts and ideas. Scripture is also precise to the smallest detail. Paul says in Galatians 3.16, Now the promises were made to Abraham and to his offspring. It does not say, and to offsprings... Referring to many, but referring to one, and to your offspring, who is Christ. Scripture is so precise that even the difference between a singular and a plural matters. And it matters immensely. This is what is known as inerrancy. And inerrancy means that the Bible is without fault or error. It is totally and completely trustworthy. J.I. Packer has written, Inerrancy means having an advanced commitment to receive as truth from God all that Scripture is found on inspection actually to teach. The Word of God is inerrant. And it's also unbending. Matthew five seventeen and 18, Jesus says, Do you not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets? I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly, I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot, will pass from the law, until all is accomplished. Nothing in the Scriptures can be broken. All that it affirms is true, and all that it promises will come to pass. The Bible also tells us that not all of it is equally easy to understand. Peter says in 2nd Peter 3:16 there are some things in them that are hard to understand. He says this in reference to other scripture, most specifically Paul's writings. Some of the Bible's easy to understand, some of it not so much. The Bible does not tell us everything about God. 1 Corinthians 13.12 says, For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. And, you know, this is a fairly reasonable and straightforward proposition. The finite is not capable of the infinite. The infinite God cannot be fully explained in a mere compilation of 66 books. That would be just Absurd. I mean, listen to John at the end of his gospel. John twenty one twenty five. he writes, Now there are also many other things that Jesus did. Were every one of them to be written, I suppose that the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. The world itself cannot contain the full account of what Jesus did, and this is only from a few years that John spent with Jesus. The Bible doesn't tell us everything there is to know, but it does give us all we need. Finally, we also learn that the Bible is the written word of God that leads us to Jesus. 2 Timothy three, fourteen and 15, But as for you, continue in what you have learned and firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it. And how from childhood you've been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. The Bible is what leads people to Jesus, the written word leads to the incarnate word, Jesus Christ. So, what is the Bible? It is the written words of God penned by men as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. It's a book that gives us God's view on things and reflects and depicts real reality perfectly in everything it is intended to communicate. The Bible's inerrant and unbending, precise to the smallest detail, not all of it equally easy to understand. It is the very words of God that always leads us to the incarnate word of God. But question number two, why does it matter? Why does the Bible even matter? Lying, lying's a sin, right? Everybody knows this. You must tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. But let's picture a scenario for a second. And so you and some unbelievers, you're all sitting around talking, and then the subject of lying comes up, right? And then one of them says, one of the unbelievers says, you know, that's the problem with Christianity. It says that lying is wrong, and then it condones it. And you, being the Christian that you are, say, well, the Bible never condones lying. And then the unbeliever turns to the book of Joshua, and they know they've got you now. They turn to the book of Joshua. Joshua chapter 2, verses 3 to 6. Then the king of Jericho sent to Rahab, saying... Bring out the men who have come to you, who entered your house, for they have come to search out all the land. But the woman had taken the two men and hidden them, and she said, True, the men came to me, but I did not know where they were from. That's lie number one. And when the uh, the gate was about to be closed at dark, the men went out. That's lie number two. I do not know where the men went. That's lie number three. Pursue them quickly, for you will overtake them. That's lie number four. Verse 6, but she had brought them up to the roof and hid them with the stalks of flax that she had laid in order on the roof. That's the truth. And then they turn to the book of Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 11, verses 30 and 31. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell down after they had been encircled for seven days. By faith, Rahab the prostitute did not perish with those who were disobedient because she had given a friendly welcome to the spies. In other words, she had lied to save their lives. Then they say, see, Rahab lies to the king of Jericho about the Israeli spies and then she's praised for it. The Bible says it was an act of faith. How do you respond? The text couldn't be more clear. Rahab lies. The spies live. The author of Hebrew puts her in the hall of faith of Hebrews chapter 11. And what's more, Rahab is even mentioned by name as a woman in the Messianic line. She's Boaz's mother. What do we do with this? Biblical illiteracy. What you don't know can and will hurt you. And not only will it hurt you, but it will greatly inhibit your relationship with Jesus. Jesus, listen to Jesus now. John 15, verses 1 to 10. A little bit longer section, bear with me. John 15, verse 1. Jesus says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. So fruit bearing is good, right? Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. So we abide, or so we bear fruit by abiding in Jesus. That's what he's saying. Verse 5, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me you can do nothing. So we can only bear fruit by abiding in Jesus. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch uh, and withers, and the branches are gathered and thrown into the fire and burned. So not abiding is not good. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this, my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. So abiding leads to fruit bearing, which leads to the Father being glorified, and this proves, this proves who Jesus' disciples are. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. Okay, Jesus We're supposed to abide. But what does that actually mean? What does abiding mean? Verse 10. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Just as I have kept my father's commandments and abide in his love. We abide by keeping his commandments. This leads to fruit bearing, which leads to the Father being glorified. And this proves we are Jesus' disciples. Obedience to Jesus proves we belong to Jesus. And where do we find out what Jesus commands? Netflix, right? Binge, Binge watching. Football games. Here's one for my wife, online shopping. No, no, this is ridiculous. The Bible, right? The Bible. How do you keep Jesus' commandments if you do not even know what it is he commands? Oh, Jamie, I think this is an isolated text. I just think you're misinterpreting. You're just... Pulling one out. Is this an isolated text? Not even close, right? Not by a long shot. John 14, 15 says, If you love me, you will keep my commandments. That's clear as crystal. We show our love for Jesus by our obedience to him. John 14, 21, Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. John fourteen twenty three: Jesus answered him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word. 1 John 2.3, and by this we know that we have come to know him, the him being Jesus, if we keep his commandments. Okay, so, so, Apostle John, how can I know if I'm saved? Well, if you're keeping his commandments. Now well, let's get a little bit more sensitive, right? Hey, Holy Spirit speaking through John how can I know if another person is saved? Well, if they're keeping his commandments. I mean, is this rocket science here? Is this difficult? 1 John 5, 3, For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. Not only will you obey, but you will want to obey. Your inner desires, your inner inclinations will be to obey. Does this describe you? Probably not in every respect. Ralph Venning once wrote, "Some men are kept back from sin for lack of opportunity. If they had it, oh, they, they would sin." They do not lack the heart, but the occasion, not the inclination, but the opportunity. If tempted to sin, they would sin. Others, though, they avoid sins that would bring disgrace, but they can easily embrace pleasant, fashionable, and profitable sins. But godly men dare not sin. On this point, they all concur. Godliness does not pick and choose what sins to commit. 2 John 1.6 says, and this is love. This is love. That we walk according to his, the his being Jesus, commandments. Who here would have defined love that way? Well, this is how God defines love here. Walking according to God's commandments. Now, let me clarify. We are not saved because we obey. This is not work salvation. We are saved, and so now we obey. We are saved unto obedience a response to salvation the right response the correct response the only response to the substitutionary death of Jesus Christ on the cross in your place is a joyful god glorifying obedience we obey because we are saved this is how the bible describes the authentic christian response But the question still remains, how do you obey what you do not know? What you don't know about the Bible can and will hurt you. And it might hurt you eternally. This is why the Bible matters. For example, another example. People are obsessed with the will of God, right? Have you you heard these people? Oh, I'm just trying to find out his will. It's so confusing trying to discern God's will. Oh, I've been praying so much and God's will still eludes me, right? How how does one determine the will of God? Let me rephrase this. How does a Christian determine the will of God? I don't want any Uman and tumen responses this morning. For those of you who know what that is, I got one one chuckle up here. And since this is a sermon on the Bible, everyone should see where I'm going with this, right? The Bible tells us what God wants for us. Paul in Colossians says, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom. We are to let the word of Christ dwell in us richly. This means that all that we do is done according to the word of Christ dwelling in us richly. And the word of Christ dwelling in you richly does not happen in a vacuum. There is content behind this, biblical content, spirit-empowered content. Listen to Paul's charge to Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 3. He says, But as for you, continue in what you have learned. In other words, you've learned something and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you've learned it. And how from childhood you've been acquainted with the sacred writings. Wait, Wait, what is he acquainted with? Which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is breathed out by God. And profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. That, here's the purpose statement, here's the purpose statement, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. So, what equips us? The Bible. What makes us complete? The Bible. Do you find yourself ill-equipped, perhaps? So when you come up against a tough life decision, you should be asking, what does the Bible say? Implication being, you need to know what the Bible says. We must diligently study and seek God in His Word. I mean, this is just what the Christian does. The Word of God is what equips you to live life. The Word of God is His revealed will for us. But, I I think that this is what happens. We we don't go to the Word. And we don't go to the Bible because, deep down, we really don't want to know what God commands on the subject. Or, Or, we're just too lazy, and honestly, I don't know which one is worse. Not wanting to know or just being too lazy to find out it's much easier to pray really hard on it and then come to the conclusion that God agrees with whatever it is I really want to do. And then go do whatever it is I really wanted to do. I mean, have you heard Christians talk like this? Oh, I, I just prayed really hard and then I felt God telling me. Even though what they claim God has told them goes directly against what God actually tells us in the Bible. They really don't care what God says. They just want to do whatever it is they want to do, regardless of what God says. Oh, 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 but they also want God on their side, so they say, the Holy Spirit told me, because, frankly, who can argue with that? The Bible is what tells us what the will of God is for our lives. So, why does the Bible matter? It's what completes us, it's what equips us. It is God's revealed will for our lives, and it's the means by which we abide in Jesus. It contains the commandments by which we can glorify God and show God we love Him. This is why the Bible matters. Question three how do I use the Bible? Why do I use the Bible? Anyone notice I didn't answer the Rahab line conundrum in Joshua and Hebrews? Well, I did that for a reason. There's a great passage in the book of Acts where Paul and Silas are sent to Berea and they're preaching and teaching. And the Bereans do... Something very, very specific that they are praised for. Listen to it. Acts 17. The brothers immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea. And when they arrived, they went into the Jewish synagogue. Now these Jews were more noble than those in Thessalonica. They received the word with all eagerness, examining the scriptures daily To see if these things were so. Many of them, therefore, believed. What kind of attitude did they bring to the hearing of the Word of God? All eagerness. They were eager eager to come to church to hear from God. And they searched the Scriptures daily to see if what Paul and Silas taught was actually true. The result? Many believed. As Christians, our goal is to be in in full submission to to the Word of God, right? This is basic. This is our authority. This is what dictates or should dictate all that is done here at church. And as an aside right now, as an aside, it is not and should not be an affront to ask a brother or sister in Christ... Where do you find support for that in the scriptures? That is not an affront. The Bereans are praised not because they took everything Paul and Silas said at face value. And this is Paul we're talking about, Pharisee of Pharisees. They are praised because they didn't blindly accept everything Paul said. They went home and then they searched the scriptures daily themselves to see if what he said was true. lesson don't take the preacher's word for it search these truths out for yourself in the bible but if you do this if you go home and search out the truths yourself be prepared to submit yourself to the truth that you find and so i have left unanswered this tantalizing little rahab line text i'm not going to answer it this morning I want you all to be like the Bereans and go home and search out the truth of the scriptures yourself. How else do we use the Bible? Why else do we use it? Paul says in Ephesians chapter 4 verses uh, verses 11 to 14. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers Jesus gives us apostles, prophets, shepherds, and teachers to build up his body until they attain to the unity of faith and knowledge. Where does the knowledge come from? The Bible. So that, and here's his, the purpose statement you are not tossed to and fro by false doctrine, human cunning, craftiness, and deceitful schemes. Knowing the truth found in the Bible protects you from what is false. And church, Timberline, please pay attention right here. This is key. In order to recognize what is false, you need to know what is actually true. So you can recognize the difference. If you don't know what is actually true, then you can't recognize that which is false. And the Bible is what tells us what is actually true really real. The word of God is our source for truth. I mean, so how can you hope to recognize false doctrine if you don't know what true doctrine is? Paul then goes on to say in Ephesians 6, "...finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God so that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil." For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. The true enemy is not COVID 19. The Bible is what equips us to stand against the schemes of the devil. I mean, this is what Jesus uses when he's tempted by Satan in the desert. Go back and check it out, Matthew 4, Luke 4. Jesus quotes Deuteronomy three times. That is his sole defense. He doesn't say anything else. How can you hope to stand against the devil if you do not know what the Bible says? Now, for a little twist, Paul in Colossians, Colossians chapter 2, verses 1 to 8. Paul says, For I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those at Laodicea, and for all who have not seen me face to face, that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love, to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery. Which is Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Wait, wait, so so where is wisdom and knowledge now? Jesus. I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. Wait, so so the same things that Paul has said of the Bible, he now says of Jesus. Verse five. So, For though I am absent in the body, yet I am with you in the spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the firmness of your faith in Christ. Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world. And then he says, and not according to Christ. But wait, Paul, what about the Bible? We have two truth claims here. The Bible is where truth is, and in Jesus is hidden all wisdom and knowledge. And both the Bible and Jesus serve the same function of protecting us from that which is false. Jeremy, I'm confused. Which one is it? Is there contradiction here? Do I study the Bible or do I get to know Jesus better in order to learn the truth? Well, The answer is yes and yes. Because what's the Bible about again? Listen to Jesus in Luke 24. And he said to them, O foolish ones and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And then Jesus says, And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted them in all of the scriptures, the things concerning himself. The Bible is about Jesus. And it leads us into deeper relationship with Jesus, meaning your relationship with Jesus is composed of content but not just any content. It's life-changing content, life-transforming content, spirit-illuminated content. And this content is found in the Bible. The study of the scriptures and relationship with Jesus are synonymous for the Christian because the Bible is where Jesus is. The Bible is the primary place where we learn about Jesus and our relationship with him deepens. I've heard Christians say, I'm a follower of Jesus and I love Jesus. Yet they spend no time studying the Bible, which is precisely where you get to know Jesus and learn more about him. This is akin to me saying to my wife, oh, I love you, but... I don't want to talk to you to get to know you. It doesn't make any sense, right? I love you, but I don't want to know anything about you. People say they love Jesus, but then they don't take the time to get to know him. And so you have to wonder, do they really love Jesus? Or are they just saying it because it sounds good? Oh, I love you, Jesus. Okay, okay, now get to know me more by studying my word. Oh, no, I couldn't do that. That takes way too much time. Our actions speak much louder than our words, do they not? You who just got done with the book of James. James 2.18. You have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works and I will show you my faith by my Words without actions are empty. The Bible is the written word of God that points us to the incarnate word of God. It's the primary place where we go to pursue relationship with our Savior, and this will ultimately lead to attaining all wisdom and all knowledge and all understanding equipping you to live life according to God's revealed will for you. The Bible and Jesus are synonymous. If you are pursuing Jesus, then you are studying his word. The the measure of your faith, the measure of your infatuation with Jesus Christ is found and shown in your infatuation with the study of the Holy Scriptures. Because that's where Jesus is. Your Savior is found in the Bible. Do you love the Bible the way that you should? The B-I-B-L-E. Yes, that's the book for me. I stand alone. Upon the word of God, the B-I-B-L-E. Amen, church. Amen. Would you pray? Father, I thank you for these men and women that you have brought here today. In spite of all that's going on. your sovereignty is unquestionable and father i thank you for your word that you have given to us this thing that we call the bible may you orient our affections to it accordingly and may you draw us deeper and deeper in love with your son jesus christ whom whom you have sent to atone for our sins. We, the undeserving. May our lives reflect the thankfulness that is due you for what you have done for us. And may we do so, may we live at all times with the aim of glorifying your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen.